I love Christmas. I love getting gifts. I love hanging out with family. Um, but Christmas also is a very busy time, right? And we can be distracted by things, and I am just so thankful for this season. It's interesting in churches when Christmas falls on Sunday. Like, that introduces all kinds of unique challenges. But what a blessing that we get to celebrate Christmas on Sunday. Every Sunday is about Christ, and we realize that, that for, even for you personally, as you think through how to, how to interact in that, but this, the theme this year is that we are going to celebrate Christ in Christmas, and so often Christmas can become about other things, and this is a great opportunity that Christmas falls on Sunday for us to remember the purpose of Christmas. And so we're going to do something different uh, this Christmas season in the sense that we're going to preach on the same two verses for the entire season of Christmas until Christmas Day. And then on Christmas Day, we are going to look at Isaiah 7:14. So you'll see the banners, and four times we have the same verse printed. And each, each week, we're going to be focusing on a different name of Jesus. So we're, so we're going to be focusing and thinking about Jesus this Christmas season. And um, so we're in, in the book of Isaiah, we're going to be looking today at Wonderful Counselor. The fact that Jesus is our Wonderful Counselor counselor. You know, the book of Isaiah is like the Old Testament book about salvation. And it's interesting as you, uh, as you read through the book of Isaiah, um, it is one of my favorite Old Testament books. And I know every single book is supposed to be your favorite. And I guess as you read it, it will be. But Isaiah is a book about salvation. It's, and and it's, it's written during a time that Israel is struggling and there's going to be judgment. And when you read it, there is so much bad news in the book of Isaiah. But as you're reading through the bad news of the book of Isaiah, you run across these passages about things that God is going to do. Um, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's grace. And so they're just looking at, like as you read this book, it's like this contrast. And it highlights how wonderful God is, how wonderful the plan of salvation is, and how wonderful Jesus is. One of the things that you see in the book of Isaiah is um, there are just chapters that talk about who God is, the fact that he's eternal, the fact that he is the only God. And right smack in the middle of that section is Isaiah 53 about Jesus. And so we're going to be considering this morning the fact that Jesus is our wonderful counselor and the fact that, man, what a help that is. I was thinking about this uh, just um, not too long ago, uh, like in the last week or so, a couple weeks. Um, we, were, we were walking in this park by the beach. And as we're walking down this park in the beach, we, we, we walked past this stand. And it was people who had all kinds of brochures. It was a cult. And they were out talking about Jesus. And so we're walking by, and uh, my whole family's like, oh, no. There goes dad. He's heading over to the, to the booth. And, and as I walked by, I just kind of went over and I just stopped for a second. I thought, do I want to interrupt our trip by going and having a conversation? And I just decided, yeah, there's people there. They're standing there. They want to they, they actually talk about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And so um, as everybody was walking by, I just kind of went over and I just started asking them some questions about some of the things that they believe about the Bible. And then I started talking to them about Jesus. And there's two things that I talked to them about. The first one is the person 
of Jesus. Who is he? Is he God? What are the things that the Bible says? And I just recited a few verses for them. You know, Colossians 2.9, in him all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. We talked about worship, the fact that Thomas falls down on his knees and worships Jesus. And he says, my Lord and my God. When you think about worship in the New Testament, there are times people saw angelic beings, amazing sights, and they would fall down to worship this being that just struck them with, with reverence and awe. And that being would say, get up, don't worship me. And that's because only God is to be worshiped. We talked about the baptism formula. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God shares his glory with no one, and yet in that phrase, the Trinity is placed on the same level. So after we talked about some of these things, one of the things that they said to me was, they said, hey, we're not going to convince each other. And um, I just said, you know, actually, I'm not, my goal isn't to convince you. Um, the, the Bible tells us that God has sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I'm actually, I'm bringing these things up, and I'm just praying that you will think about those, that as you read the Bible and you read across these things, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would convict you about who Jesus is, and that you would come to know Jesus as he is. One of the things that I was thinking about is that for us as believers, sometimes we run across people who have studied, and they're experts, and they know all these things, and you can kind of take the Bible, and you can rationalize it and change it and, and reason it to something that is not what God is actually saying. But for us as believers, who Jesus is, the person of Jesus, what the Bible says about what Jesus did, who he is and his work should be something that we are so clear about, something that in our hearts that inspires us to worship that we've thought deeply about these things and that you could sit down with anybody who's studied and just because of the things that you love about Jesus, you could just talk to them about, hey, this is what I know. This is what I've dwelled on. This is what God says and this is where he says it. And that we can represent Christ. And our purpose is never to convince somebody or to force somebody to move from where they are. You know, the great thing, that's God's job. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And there's nothing more important and there's nothing more powerful than a conversation with a person who knows and loves Jesus. And God uses that. One of the things that I've heard, it's like this statement, I don't know who said it, but it says that what comes from the heart goes to the heart. And so in this Christmas season, the thing that I'm praying is that we will think deeply, that we will embrace who Jesus is, that we will internalize it to the place 
that when we have conversations with people, there's no pressure, there's no stress, there's no anxiety, there's no feeling like, oh man, I have to say the right thing and know everything, but just that over our holiday season that we love Jesus, that we've internalized it, and that we're waiting for any opportunity that God gives us to express what we know about Jesus. And so today we're going to be dwelling on the fact that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And it's my prayer that you will internalize that. We are going to look at some passages that um, talk about the person of Jesus. And we'll be doing this throughout this next four weeks. Um, But I want to just start by looking at Isaiah 53. So this is a passage in Isaiah. And it's talking about why the world needs Jesus. And what, who this Messiah is was going to be and what he was going to accomplish. You know, often people feel like, oh, the gospel's in the New Testament. You can't find it in the Old Testament. I just want you to know, Isaiah's in the Old Testament. Let Let me read this. But he, this is talking about Jesus, was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace And with his wounds, we are healed. You know, that is talking about the person of Jesus who would come, who would die on the cross, who would bear the sins of mankind so that we, by putting our faith in him, could be saved. Believing in Jesus, knowing who Jesus is. And as we consider our passage this morning, which we will be reading Um, This is talking about the coming of Jesus and and just who he is as a person, which is actually something that is significant in his first coming, but is also significant in his second coming. When we think about the fact that Jesus came, we are always reminded that he is actually going to come again. And uh, his first coming provided salvation, and that was a turning point um, in history. And um, his second coming is when that is all going to be fulfilled and Jesus is going to rule on earth. So this morning we're going to be considering um, the fact that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And I just want you to know I am so thankful for the fact that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you felt like you needed advice? You felt like you were over your head? You're just like, man, somebody give me a counselor. Have you ever, you know, you know people who have gone through challenges in their marriage and they talk to everybody they know who's struggled in their marriage and and if somebody says, oh, we have the most amazing counselor, if you come talk to this person, they will help you. It's like people line up. Okay, who who was helpful? And there's times that we've, we've heard of counselors that are bad counselors. You ever met somebody or have you ever experienced somebody giving you bad advice and it kind of sounded good and you took the advice and at the end of it you're like, oh my goodness, that was terrible. I wish I would have never followed that advice. Or you'll see somebody else getting bad advice. And you're thinking, oh man, they're embracing this. They think this is such a good idea. It's going to lead to their destruction. But isn't it amazing that Jesus is our wonderful counselor? So we're going to dive in there, but I want to just say a few things about Isaiah first. It was written about 100 years before Israel was taken into captivity. Think about Daniel going into Babylon. 
And so you just see that this, this wonderful counsel that is given, it's 100 years before Israel goes into Babylon, and it's about 600 years before Jesus comes to earth. And it just is a mix of the bad news and the good news. But I just want you to know that Jesus is such good news. And it is just amazing. Now this passage, Isaiah chapter um, uh, 9, verse 1 through 7, we're not going to look at the earlier verses, but the earlier verses, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, is actually quoted in Matthew. And I do want to just read this verse. It says, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So this passage is pointed to in Matthew. In the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then verse 16, it says this, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them has dawned, light has dawned. And so, this is just saying Jesus is the light. When you think about truth and light and understanding and not being in darkness, that's Jesus. And this light has come. And one of the things I love is what Jesus does next. It says in this last verse, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus is that ruler. And Jesus is telling people, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin and turn to me. And then the, the rest of that passage in Matthew is Jesus going around and calling his disciples, come and follow me. And so that is just, that's the context of this. And Jesus, man, he certainly is our wonderful counselor. Let's read this passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And it says this, For to us... A child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and, the peace, and, and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we think about who Jesus is, when you change the nature and character of Jesus, it actually changes who he is. This group of folks that I was talking to, um, they would say Jesus was an amazing person. He was the first creation of God. He was God's representative on earth, but he wasn't. God. But you know what? If you change the deity of Jesus, if you change what the Bible says about Jesus, then you, you are not worshiping the same person. That actually changes who God is. Now this starts, it says, for unto us a child is born. When you think about that, this is, who's us in Isaiah? When, when Isaiah is saying, for unto us, who is us? Is that you and me? Is that the nation of Israel? And so I want, what I want to say is I don't want to rip this out of the Old Testament. This is specifically talking to Israel. And it's saying, for unto us 
A son is given, and, and this baby is going to be born. This is the Jewish Messiah. But did you know that Jesus came not just for Israel, but for the world? When you think about God's promise to, to, uh, to Abraham, he just says this in Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So, God's telling Abraham, I want you to go somewhere. Abraham's leaving, and he doesn't know where he's going. But he just knows God's leading us. And what what an amazing exercise of faith for Abraham to leave, to go somewhere, and he doesn't know where it is. But this is what God says to him in verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. This is a promise about Israel. But then he goes on and he says, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this promise of the Messiah is for Israel, but not just for Israel, for all of us. So in a sense, when we think about for unto us, we recognize that's to the nation of Israel, but that is also for us. It says a child is born, a son is given. You know, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's everybody. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. That's Jewish. In the city of David. That this is a descendant of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so this Jewish Messiah is for the world. Now, if you have your phones or your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 2. I want to just consider briefly before we jump jump into Wonderful Counselor, what happened to Jesus? Who is Jesus? What does the Bible tell us about who he is? What's the description of Colossians 2.9? In Jesus, in him, all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. So Jesus is a human, but has the fullness of deity. Now, when we think about that, um, that's kind of confusing. And I want to just say that when it comes to the, the person of Jesus, when it comes to the nature of the Trinity, the Bible teaches us things that we can know. We can know that Jesus is fully human. The Bible clearly communicates that. We can know that Jesus is fully God, and we, we must know those things about Jesus. If Jesus is not fully human, then he cannot represent us. He's not the second Adam. You know, the first Adam caused the fall of the human race. The second Adam, who is Jesus, redeems the human race. So Jesus has to be human, like you and me. Hebrews talks about that, right? That Jesus was tested in every way as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus has to be human to represent us, but he has to be God. If he's not a perfect God, he cannot infinitely represent the, the, he, he can't solve our sin problem. He can't pay the price of eternal destruction for every person on earth. He can't do that if he's not God. Jesus must be God and Jesus must be man. So, how did this happen? You know, you think about Moses 
in Exodus saying, God, I want to see you. God passes before him and he says, no one can see me and live. Uh, Then the disciples say to Jesus, show us the Father. Remember that? And Jesus says, how can you say show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember that? So wait a second. If Jesus is God and nobody can see God and live, but they all saw Jesus and they were all living. And you see how this is a struggle? So what happened? When Jesus came to this earth, did he give up some of his deity? So my encouragement to you is, the answer to that is no. He gave up nothing of the attributes of God. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. And what is amazing is this incredible spiritual truth is supposed to impact the way you and I think about each other. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, emptying, some people, and this is not true, feel like God gave up some of his attributes. For example, Jesus was in one place at a time versus being omnipresent. I just want you to know God's omnipresent. So Jesus was omnipresent while he was on earth. He was in one place at a time, but he was omnipresent. Um, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus holds the universe together. So Jesus, as an infant who needed to be fed, who needed to be carried, who couldn't walk, who couldn't take care of himself. He was this infant needing to be cared for while at the same time was holding the universe together. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. Luke chapter 2 says that Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. So he grows as a human in Luke chapter 2, but he is all-knowing. He's growing in wisdom, but is all-knowing. He is perfectly one with the Father in heaven, but he's growing in favor with God. Like these statements that are made are beyond our ability to comprehend. And so what it tells us here in Philippians 2, when it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant, Jesus Jesus' glory was veiled through the humanity that he took on. He did not give up any any glory. So as we think about Jesus, these are things we can know. Uh, We read Colossians 2.9, in him all the fullness of deity dwelt, not most of deity with few things missing. The fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. And what we understand is he clothed himself in humility. He lived life. He clothed himself in humanity. He lived life as a man while at the same time being God. And so that's what we see in Jesus. Hebrews 2.9 tells us that he did that. It says, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. So this is who Jesus is, God in the flesh. 
and um, the government is going to be on his shoulders. We'll talk more about that, but imagine that. Jesus, the perfect ruler. We see that in Revelation 20. He is going to come. He is going to rule on earth, be our perfect ruler. And so we know that that's going to happen. And then it goes on in Isaiah um, verse chapter 9, verse 6, and it says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Say just something brief about names. Names are a reflection of character. When, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll notice that if, if there was this terrible time in Israel and a baby was born, sometimes they, they would name that baby like grief or they would name that baby something that had to do with what was going on. Or when God would meet people and enter a relationship with them, He would change their name from Abram to Abraham. Um, we see that God changed people's names Names were significant, and this is a reflection of who Jesus is. He is a wonderful counselor. Now, um, wonderful counselor, I'm looking forward to when we get to everlasting Father. I was in this council with some people who said, oh no, um, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is talking about God the Father, not Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, well, you should read it because <laughs> it's talking about Jesus. Um, Clearly, it's talking about Jesus. A, a child is born, a son is given, like this is Jesus, but it said everlasting Father. No, that's the name of God the Father. That's not the name of Jesus. So that's we'll talk about that when we get there. But when I say wonderful counselor, if, if, if somebody just randomly walked up to you on the street and said, who's the counselor in the Trinity? What would you say? Yeah, we would think the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, there's in, um, in John chapter 14, verse 26, it says that Jesus says he's going to send the, the helper. But some translators actually translate that counselor. So we think of the Holy Spirit as being a counselor. And that's one of the amazing things is that each of the members of the Trinity are completely distinct. The Holy Spirit is not the influence of Jesus. It is not the influence of God. The Holy Spirit is a person. And I should have said, he is not. <laughs> the influence instead of it but it's kind of hard how we could say that the holy spirit is a person but what is amazing is that god the father is distinct from god the son is distinct from the holy spirit but they are one god and it's interesting to see these qualities that we would mainly think of god expressed about jesus that we would think about god the father or the son jesus is a wonderful counselor so when we think about that word wonderful, I want to just focus on, on that. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. So wonderful is something exceptional, distinguished. It's something amazing and marvelous. When we think about this, we think about Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, where God just says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So Sarah's a 90-year-old woman, and God promises she's going to have a baby. And, and that is anything, too, is anything too hard for the Lord. That, that's the same word for wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for God? Is there anything he can't do? Imagine walking into a, a uh, convalescent home, walking up to a 90-year-old. Next year, you're going to have a baby. Everybody would say, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> and um, Jesus just says, by the way, it was Jesus having this conversation. Is anything too hard for God? Like, that's wonderful. 
It is something miraculous. In Judges chapter 13, verse 18, you remember when Samson's parents meet Jesus and he announces the birth of Samson? So Jesus, in the Old Testament, announces the birth of Samson to his parents. And, and one of the things that is said there, uh, Manoah just says, what's your name? And this is what Jesus tells him. Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? That is miraculous, amazing, unbelievable. Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? I mean, it is miraculous. It is unbelievable. It is this amazingly good thing. Have you thought about the goodness of Jesus? And this, is, this, this word wonderful is modifying counselor. There are some people as they look at this as they would say, no, wonderful is a name. Counselor is a name. The King James puts a comma between those two words. But when you look at this whole phrase, there's all, the whole phrase is always two words going together. And so I, I don't think that this should be seen separately. Um, although in Judges we do see that Jesus' name could be, count, could be wonderful. It is wonderful. But in this, the emphasis is wonderful counselor. And so as we think about the goodness, the wonder of Jesus' counsel. You know, I think about Job, when you think about the wonder of God, where Job just, after going through everything, just says, man, I said all the stuff that I didn't even understand in Job 42, 3, but he just says, I've now seen things that are too wonderful for me. Job is so amazed by what God has shown him. Psalm 119, 29 talks about God's word being wonderful. Um, Psalm 139, when the psalmist thinks about God knows when I was born, the number of my days, everything about me, he just says, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so good. It is so wonderful. And so it's miraculous, but it's miraculously positive. And then when you think about just how Jesus is described and God is described as wonderful in the Old Testament, and then you look at the New Testament and you think about Matthew 21, 15, right? where the Pharisees and the chief priests, they see the wonderful things that Jesus does. His enemies look at what he does and just says, this is wonderful. It is so good. It is so miraculous. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 22, all wit witnessed at his wonder and gracious words. So Jesus' words were wonderful and gracious and um, in Acts 2.22, talking about Jesus, it just says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God by wonders. You know, Jesus is our loving Savior who compassionately delivers exactly what we need at the right moment. It is miraculous. So what is this miraculous thing? It's counsel. Jesus is a miraculous counselor. I just want to ask you a question. When do you seek counsel? Ever think about that? Do you ever get to a place in your life where you say, man, I need counsel? You know, I think that actually uh, one of the qualities as believers that we should have and as humble people is that we're always trying to learn. We're always looking for counsel. At wherever we go, no matter who we're with, we're trying to learn something. So we need counsel. And that should be a mindset that we have in life. But also, there are unique times when you need help. 
I know when I was going to travel to India, I'd never been there. And so I went and found some friends and just said, hey, can you give me some advice? And uh, they were just describing to me, you got to say things like this and don't do this. And this could be offensive. And they warned me that if I insulted a cow or did something in certain areas of India, I could be killed. Like if you, if you do things like there could just be riots, the police will just stand there and people will beat you to death. And so when I was going there and I was thinking about those areas, I wanted some advice. I, I actually did, would have liked to come home. Michelle and my kids would like it if I came home. <laughs> I think about premarital counseling. Sometimes people are heading into marriage and they know this is a really important time. It could be really challenging. And they're like, hey, somebody come give me some advice to help me be successful. You know, when I came to Foothills, I'd been in ministry for 30 years. But it was my first time going somewhere new. So I'd been in a church for the same church for 30 years. And then when I came here, I'm like, man, I've given lots of people all kinds of advice. I would go to classes at colleges, and they would interview me about what kind of qualities should, a past, should you look for in a pet pastor. Or people saying, how do you get a job? Students saying, teach me, help me learn this. But the first time it was happening for me that I was going somewhere new, I called a friend of mine who'd help a ton of people through transitions. And I said, hey, give me some advice. And he told me a couple things. He said, Roger, do this. He said, don't be controversial. <laughs> he said, don't show up and be controversial. I just thought to myself, that's really good advice for me. <laughs> now that you know me, I could be controversial, right? Um, I didn't preach through 1 Corinthians. <laughs> that wasn't my first book. <laughs> because it's controversial. And so I picked a different book, James. And, um, but that was just such good advice to me, and he gave me some really good advice. You know what? I needed that, and I, I call that person, and I talk to him at times when I need advice about things. Sometimes we're heading into difficult times. It could be with parenting. It could be with whatever, and we know that we need advice. Okay, I'm going to go quickly, and I want you to think about the counsel of Jesus. You know, the first thing is we think about Jesus' counselor, we need to recognize that Jesus is the source of ultimate counsel. One of the huge mistakes that Christians make is when they're seeking advice, they go to experts, but they forget who Jesus is and what He has said. This Proverbs chapter 1 is, this is the personification of wisdom. Uh, there are many people who would say that Proverbs is about Jesus and wisdom is Jesus. But it just says this, Proverbs 1.20, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets, and in the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. You know, the emphasis is that wisdom is shouting. Jesus is shouting wisdom. I think about this, that God has put a knowledge, Romans 1, of Himself in every person. Uh, Romans chapter 2 says that when the Gentiles, that's people who don't have the law, instinctively do the things of the law, they show God's law written on their hearts. Have you thought about that? That Jesus' wisdom is to some degree expressed in the heart and life of every single person. When I'm talking to the Jehovah Witnesses that I talk to, one of the things I recognize when they said you're not going to change my mind and we're not going to change your mind, one of the things that I recognize is that they actually know the truth. 
before I start the conversation. Before I've said a thing, God's written the truth in their heart. So when I just recite Colossians 2, 9 to them, God is working in their heart. So I've actually, before I started the conversation, I've already won the conversation. And the issue is they may continue to suppress that truth. That's not my issue, whether they suppress the truth. That is between them and God. And so God has already, in a sense, programmed everybody with his wisdom. God's wisdom is shouting in the streets, but they are noisy streets. There's also foolishness being shouted. The question is not, which are there multiple voices? The question is, which voice will you listen to? And as a believer, do you recognize that Jesus is the source of wisdom? So, I want to just talk a little bit about good and bad advice. And Can I use an Old Testament story for you? Okay, so, you know the, the little children's thing about the genie who rubs the lamp and the genie comes out and says, you have three, three, three wishes? Solomon has a dream when he becomes king. And God says to Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon says, I'm a young man, and I know that I'm king because you love my dad. And so you've blessed my dad, you love my dad, and you've let me be on the throne because of him. So he kind of starts with this humble attitude. And then he says, I'm a kid, and I don't know how to go out or come in. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, and yet I'm supposed to rule your people. And so what he says is, he says, God, give me wisdom. Give me an understanding heart so that I can care for your people. So God tells him that that pleases him, and he just says, Solomon, because you didn't ask for, for riches, you didn't ask for the life of your enemies, you didn't ask for these other things, God says, I am going to give you wisdom, and I'm also going to give you all the stuff you didn't ask for. Isn't that awesome? Like, that's the nature and character of the God we serve. If we just humbly come to him, and, and when our heart is for him and his glory... He blesses us. And the question is, in your life, do you see Jesus as the source of wisdom? As you're going through your life, are you saying, Jesus, I need to know what you want. And I want to live my life and make decisions that bring you glory. So the next thing that happens is just such an amazing expression of wisdom. So right after that story is told, there's these two ladies that come to Solomon, and this is going to be the first expression of this miraculous wisdom that God gives. So there's these two ladies living in a house. They're prostitutes. That's a little detail from the story. But we have these two ladies living in a house, and they're both pregnant, and they both have a baby. And while they're sleeping at night, um, one of them rolls over on the baby and kills her baby. So the other baby's living, and in the middle of the night... The lady wakes up, sees that her baby's dead, and she switches the babies. And now there's this, there's this dilemma, because both of these ladies are saying, no, that's my baby. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> anybody ever have a kid? You go to the hospital, as soon as the baby's born, they put a little thing on his hand so they don't get him mixed up. 
So like this is kind of a problem that how do you know which baby goes with which person? And here's what happens. In the middle of just like right on the spot, Solomon says, okay, we got, we got a kid. We have two moms that want the kid, and there's no way we can tell which kid it is, so here's what we're going to do. Bring me a sword. Bring me the baby. I'm going to cut the baby in half. I'll give half to you and half to you. So just right in that moment, he makes this statement, which is going to answer the question, solve the problem. But it just hits everybody, and people just react emotionally. And the one lady who it wasn't her baby says, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's cut it in half and give the baby to each of us. If she could have had more time to think, she would have realized that's not how she should have answered that question. (laughs) And the real mom had no time to think, had no time to plan or evaluate. But in a moment, she says, no, give the baby to her. And Solomon says, okay, I can tell who the mom is. Now, (laughs) after hearing that story, um, isn't it kind of like, duh, I mean, that doesn't seem that miraculous, right? Let's kill a baby. Who's going to care about the life of that baby more? But what happens is in a moment, he just does something and people react and it reveals what is in their heart. You know, that's actually true of life. Oftentimes, we communicate things we don't know we're communicating because we live out of our heart. And Solomon, in a moment, brings that to the surface. That's God's amazing wisdom. And the Bible, by the way, says that people traveled all over the world to hear Solomon's wisdom. And when they showed up, they said, you know, what I heard about was so amazing, it made me travel across the world. But once I got here, I realized this is so much better than anything I could ever think. So Jesus is a wonderful counselor. You want to know what another story is? You go a few chapters later, and you got Solomon's son. This is in 1 Kings chapter 12. And uh, here, let me, let me give you, <laughs> list those passages for you. His son Rehoboam, this worldly wisdom. So Rehoboam's becoming king, and all the people at the end of Solomon's reign come to him, and they just say, Hey, Rehoboam, your dad was really hard on us. He charged us a lot of taxes, and he really, like, was, he had a heavy hand on us. So if you're going to be king, would you lighten the load? And we're going to serve you, and and we loved your dad, and we'll love you too, but can you give us a break? Can you cut our taxes? And he says, give me a few days, and we'll talk. So what does Rehoboam do? He grabs all his dad's counselors. Think about this. The wisest man on earth with divine wisdom and his counselors. These people who have watched Solomon, who have learned from Solomon, who have been a help to Solomon. Who could help Solomon? Why did Solomon need counselors? But these guys are there because Solomon said, come, let's be a team. Let's do things. And he asked them, what should we do? You want to know what they say? Give them what they want. (laughs) Lower their taxes. And then you want to know what he does? He grabs all his friends that he grew up with. And he says to his friends, hey, we're all buds. We grew up, you know. As I was a kid, I was the prince. And you guys were all my buddies. What should we do? And you want to know what they tell him? Don't give these people what they want. Don't cut their taxes. 
uh, show them that you're tougher than your dad. So, so Rehoboam says, my finger is thicker than my dad's thigh. <laughs> I'm just thinking, um, I'm just thinking, okay, people traveled all over the world to come hear your dad talk. Who's coming to hear you? And so he tells, he tells them, he decides to take the dumb advice of his friends. Um, how many times have we seen foolish things like that happen? Some teenager wants advice. They go ask their friends. It's like, dude, don't talk to your friends. They don't know. But that's what he does. And he gets that advice. And then he gets, he gets like his guy. And he says, okay, you're going to be my tax collector. Go out there and start getting taxes. Do you want to know what everyone does? They stone him. The guy comes into town. They just kill the guy. Like the king sing, sends out a messenger. He's dead. And, and it, the story ends with him, with Rehoboam jumping in a chariot and running for his life, realizing I've lost the kingdom. And the Lord lets him have Judah. But he loses all the tribes of Israel. It's kind of important, wouldn't you say, that we recognize the source of true wisdom? And Jesus is our wonderful counselor. You know, um, you can learn about counsel and wisdom before you need it. You know, that's another thing that Proverbs says, that the parents are teaching their kids God's word, and they just say, in your life, these things are going to guard you and protect you. Uh, it's good to go, to pray, to fall on your knees before God when you need wisdom and say, God, I need help. But there's nothing that comes, that the help sometimes comes through the voice of other people who are mature, who know God's word, who love you, who have lived life, who have practiced obedience to God, and then they speak into your life. That's one of the things we're supposed to do, is we're supposed to look around when we're seeking advice and say, who's the person that knows God's word and demonstrates that they obey it. I look at them, I see the fruit of faithfulness in their life. That's who I'm asking for advice. You know, I think about Psalm 119, uh, verse 97 to 104, that just says, I'm wiser than my teachers, wiser than my enemies, wiser than old people. Why? Because God, you've taught me through your word. Um, Jesus is the word, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, in the Old Testament, often when God's giving revelation to prophets, it'll say, and the Word of God came to... Um, there are many people who say that was Jesus speaking to the prophets. Do we recognize Jesus as our wonderful counselor? Are we taking his word, putting it into our life wholeheartedly? Are we pursuing his wisdom? I think about James, James chapter 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach. God is generous in giving wisdom when we need it. I also think about Amos. There are some people who ask for wisdom and God tells them nothing. The book of Amos, it just says, um, I've given you my word, I've given you my commandments, and you have refused to listen, and so I'm going to send a famine, not for food and not for water, but a famine for my word. People are going to stumble to and fro, saying, God, I want a word from you, and he's going to say, I'm not giving it to you, because when I gave it to you, you didn't listen. Are we people who in our heart incline ourselves to Jesus, who seek his wisdom, who desire his advice? 
and who live according to it. Remember Naaman in the Old Testament? He goes to a prophet because he's got leprosy, and he goes to this prophet, and God speaks to him through the prophet and says, go, in, go dip in the Jordan. And what does Naaman do? He's like, he's like, I ain't doing that. That's a muddy river in Israel. That's lame. I'm not going to do that. So he's going to go home. And all this, the people he brought with him say, hey, you traveled to get to the prophet to ask for some advice, and he tells you to go dip in the river. Is it really that bad? Just go do what he says. And finally they convince him to follow God's advice. He dips in the river, and he has skin that's like a baby. No more leprosy. Are we people who see and value and trust what God says? Jesus is our wonderful counselor. As we end this morning, I want to turn our time to um, I want to turn our time to the Lord's Supper. And I want to invite you to come forward. We're going to be celebrating Jesus this season. And as we come forward, we're going to eat the bread. That represents the body of Jesus. We're going to drink the cup. That represents his death. And we have this wonderful counselor who loves us, and we have a right relationship with him. We are no longer God's enemy. Why? Because Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for us. Here's the amazing thing. If you look at yourself and you say, I'm not good enough. I see a lot of sin in my life. I see ways that I have fallen short. That's why Jesus came. We trust him. We don't need to trust ourselves. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember the work of Jesus, but we remember who he is, this wonderful counselor who loves us. And then in verse 25, it says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray, and then you can just come up, help yourself, take the elements, eat them when you're ready. Lord, thank you for your kindness, your goodness, your love. God, I thank you that you paid the price for our sins, that we don't stand before you based on our works. We stand before you based on your work. Lord, we thank you that you loved us, and that when we believe in you, you will transform our life. You will make us spiritually alive. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in your name. Amen.